So we, as Ben said, we're looking together in Ephesians 6 at the full armor of God because we are in this spiritual fight, this battle against dark, evil forces that we can't see but that have been at work in the world throughout all of human history. And the, the general, the chief in charge of, that, of those dark forces is the ultimate enemy of God and of His people, the devil, or Satan. And Satan's goal, Jesus said, is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants to do. Now, praise God, Jesus has already won the victory, amen? I mean, Jesus has already defeated Satan. He's already bought for us freedom from and forgiveness of our sin. He's already conquered death. Jesus is victorious. And we now await that final, ultimate defeat, that that complete victory when Jesus Christ returns. He makes all things new and He consigns the devil and his forces to eternal flames forever and ever. We wait for that day to come. And until that day gets here, we're still in the fight. We're still in in the trenches, and Satan knows that he can't win. He knows he's ultimately defeated, but in a way that kind of makes him more dangerous because he's not going to go down without a fight, and he's going to kill, steal, and destroy as much as he possibly can on his way out. And that's why God has equipped us with a spiritual armor. He's equipped us with everything we need to be able to withstand Satan's attacks and resist his evil schemes. God has gifted us with that. And it's a marvelous gift. Last week we looked at that first piece of armor, the belt of truth. And God's truth, His absolute, unchanging, eternal, universal truth protects us from Satan's scheme to deceive our minds and seduce our hearts. That's what we talked about last week. Truth is that foundation upon which we stand and fight. Truth is that belt that keeps the rest of the armor that we're going to talk about in place, including this next piece of armor, the breastplate of righteousness. So let's read together in Ephesians chapter 6, and I want to remind you again, we've got cards here on the, on the edges of the platform and in the back. Take one of those memory cards with you and let's memorize this passage together over the next few weeks. Ephesians chapter 6, I'm just going to read verses 13 through 18. For this reason, meaning the reason of standing firm and resisting these dark spiritual forces, uh, for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession. For all the saints. So we've gone from what seems like the least coverage, the belt, to the part of the armor that seems like the most coverage, the breastplate, you know, that covers your entire midsection. And as we think about this, I want us, to, as Ben was already alluding to, to go back and look at this in the context of a Roman soldier. 
What does the breastplate protect? What is its function? What was this piece of armor like? Well, in the Greek, where the language of the New Testament was written in, Paul uses the word thoraca, for breastplate. And that's the same, that's the word we get our English word thorax from, or torso comes from that word. And it's sort of the, the generic Greek word that just means the armor that covers this part of you. Okay, so it's a very general term for this armor that covers your chest. But there were several different kinds of breastplates that the Romans used. Uh, one of them is the one that, that Ben showed, you see in the drive through nativity. That's the one that was worn by the generals, the, the more elite soldiers, the Caesars, because let's be honest, it kind of makes you look ripped, doesn't it? I mean, it makes you look good, right? It's like you're all beefed up, you've got a six-pack. I mean, it just looks great on you. And it's this form-fitting piece of metal that was worn close, and it offered protection, but it was also very decorative. Now, the armor, and that's called the lorica musculata because it shows all those muscles. But there's another one called the lorica segmentata, and it's made up of segments, these little segments of metal that were sewn onto a leather vest. And it was very lightweight, it was breathable, it was flexible, but it still protected you well against you know, either being slashed or stabbed or having arrows shot at you. It was very good armor. This is what your typical foot soldier in the, warm, in, the, in the Roman army would have worn. Now, which of these Paul had in mind, we don't know, and it doesn't really matter because they all carried out the same purpose, to protect, to protect those vital organs, particularly the, the, the lungs, the heart, to protect all of that. And in a similar way, God's breastplate is there to protect the vital parts of our lives, the core of who we are, our heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Guard your heart above all else. Now, what does the Bible mean when it talks about the human heart? Well, just as your physical heart sustains your body by, by pumping that life-giving blood to every part of your body, so our spiritual heart sustains our spiritual life sustains the most important part of who we are, the eternal, created in God's image part of us. Often when the Bible mentions our heart, it's referring to the, the moral, spiritual center of our lives from which flow our thoughts, our words, our actions. It encompasses our will, our personality, our deepest commitments and desires and loves come from our heart. That's why the Bible commands us to seek and to love God with all of our heart. It's why David said, ask for God to search and try and know His heart. It's why Proverbs says we have to guard the heart because all the really important stuff about who you are, it comes from your heart, from that core, that center of your being. Now, we saw in our Old Testament readings this morning that the human heart is deceitful above all else, and it's beyond cure. Our hearts are sick with sin. Our hearts are deceptive and weak. Our hearts are beyond cure. And because our hearts can be filled with evil and lead us astray and deceive us, Jeremiah said we need the Lord to give us new hearts. We need new hearts that can know, trust, and follow Him. Or as the Lord said through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36, 26, 
He said, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove from you the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's the gospel. The gospel is that our hearts are as cold and hard and dead as stone because of sin in our life. And there's nothing that you can do to fix that sin-sick heart. But Jesus Christ came to give you a new heart. To give you a, a heart that is living and that is beating in rhythm with the heart of the Creator. A thriving heart. That's what Christ gives us when we come to know Him by faith. And that's why God gives us a special part of His spiritual armor to protect that new heart. That new heart that you received the moment you prayed and asked Jesus Christ into your life, God then gives you this breastplate of righteousness to guard and protect that heart. Now the next question you may ask then is, well, what does that need protection from? Now why, why do I, that's kind of important, right? You know, it's, it's what, what are you going to put on your chest? Well, what are you trying to protect yourself against? Well, it's there to protect us against Satan's scheme. So just as we looked at one of Satan's schemes last week, this week we see Satan's scheme is that he is the accuser who wants us to feel defeated and discouraged. He's the accuser who wants us to feel, to believe that we are defeated and we are discouraged. Now, our heart as a Christian, that new heart that Jesus gives us, is, is to desire and look for the things that are above, not, not earthly things. Our affection is to be for God. Our desire should be for His glory. Our mission should be to carry out His great commission to make disciples of all nations. But that's not what Satan wants. Satan wants us to focus on ourselves. Satan wants us to desire the things of the world. And Satan most certainly does not want us making disciples of all nations and teach them to observe all that Christ commanded us. He doesn't want us to live in victory, but in defeat. So just as we looked at last week, Satan seeks to deceive our minds and seduce our hearts. He also wants to keep our hearts defeated and discouraged. He wants us to believe that we're helpless and powerless. And he does that through accusation. In Revelation chapter 12, 10, John, in his vision, he says, I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, the authority of His Christ, have now come because the accuser, the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. The accuser, the devil, the, the, the Greek word that we get the English word devil from is diabolos or diablos. Okay, so diablos isn't just a Mexican restaurant in Augusta. It's the Greek word for devil, but do you know what it literally means? It literally means the accuser or the slanderer. So when you eat at diablos, you're eating at the slanderers. It's an interesting name for a restaurant. He accuses you of eating too much. That's right. Yeah, that queso is the devil's cheese. You've got to watch out for that stuff. And listen, he lives up to that name Diablos because his plan is diabolical. This is what he does. This is what Satan does. 
First, He deceives our minds and seduces our hearts from God's truth so that we step into sin. And then when He does, He accuses us. Ah, see? You call yourself a Christian. I see what you did. Did did you see what you did? If your friends at church could only see you now, if they only know what you just said, if your pastor only knew what you're thinking, you call yourself a Christian? You think you're worthy enough to be a deacon? To sing in the choir? To teach a Sunday school class? Who are you to talk to somebody else about Jesus? Who are you to present the gospel to someone You're no perfect person. That's what Satan does. He accuses us so that we feel ashamed. We feel guilty. We feel unworthy and defeated. There's a different Greek word that can also be translated accused, but that word means to bring charges against someone in a court of law, in a fair way, because you're seeking justice. That's not diabolos. Diabolos is different. It is not about seeking justice. It is not about fairness. In fact, there are other places in the New Testament that same word is used not to talk about Satan, but to refer to some human being who is a slanderer, a gossip. That's what the word means. It's similar to the difference between the Spirit's conviction and Satan's accusations. And you'll see that on the screen and in your notes. See, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, but Satan condemns us in our sin. The Spirit's conviction is to lead us to repentance. Satan's accusations are just to make us regret. Warren Wiersbe wrote about this. He said, when the Spirit of God convicts you, he uses the Word of God in love and seeks to bring you back into fellowship. When Satan accuses you, He uses your own sins in a hateful way and seeks to make you feel helpless and hopeless. See, the Spirit's conviction is so that we focus on our Savior. Satan's accusations is to make us focus on our sins. That's what he wants. And so the devil is constantly pointing out our sins to us to make us doubt our salvation, to make us despair that God could ever love a wretch like me, Satan gets us to loosen up that belt of truth so that we get deceived into stepping into sin. And when we do that and we find ourselves in sin, we're just giving him more ammunition that he can use against us to accuse us and to make us feel ashamed and guilty. So remember, Satan doesn't bring legitimate charges. He doesn't care about God's justice. He isn't interested in making you holy. He slanders you before the throne of God. He's accusing you in order to discourage you so that you feel powerless and defeated. Now, there's a great example of this in Zechariah chapter 3. If you'll turn in your Bibles or look up on the screen, Zechariah chapter 3 demonstrates this in a vision that the Lord gave the prophet Zechariah. And in this vision, he sees the high priest at that time, a man named Joshua, standing before God. And there's somebody else there as well. Let's just read this together, and then I want to just share a few thoughts about this. Then he showed me the high priest Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord with Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. May the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. 
Isn't this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed with filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. So the angel of the Lord spoke to those standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. And then he said to him, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with festive robes. Then I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So a clean turban was placed on his head, and they clothed him in garments while the angel of the Lord was standing nearby. Then the angel of the Lord charged Joshua, This is what the Lord of armies says. If you walk in my ways and keep my mandates, you will both rule my house and take care of my courts. I will also grant you access among those who are standing here. Listen, high priest Joshua, you and your colleagues sitting before you. Indeed, these men are a sign that I'm about to bring my servant the branch. It's a prophecy about Jesus. Notice the stone I've set before Joshua. On that one stone are seven eyes. I will engrave an inscription on it. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. And I will take away the iniquity of this land in a single day. On that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. So here we see Joshua, the high priest, standing in the presence of the Lord. That means that he's in the temple ready to serve God, ready to make sacrifices, ready to worship God and lead His people in worship. But Satan is there as well. And he's at his right hand. Now, that's significant because your right hand, we even today talk about, you know, he's my right hand man, right? So if somebody's at your right hand, they're your support. They're your strength. They're your encouragement. But who's at Joshua's right hand? The accuser. He's there to weaken Joshua. He's not there to support him. He's there to discourage him. He's there to undermine him, to make him believe that he is unworthy to serve God, that he's powerless to walk in holiness before God. Satan is there to accuse and to slander and to point out Joshua's guilt, which is symbolized by those filthy clothes, those filthy rags that Joshua is standing in. Effectively, Satan is saying, there's no hope for you. God can't use you. You don't deserve to be here. Now, here's the really sinister part of all of this. Satan's not exactly wrong. We are sinners. We are sinful. We say, do, and think things that displease our holy God. But Satan's accusations are only half the story, aren't they? They're only half the story. Satan accuses us of having sinned, which is true, But then he tells us that that sin places us beyond the reach of God's grace. And that, my friends, is a lie. That's a lie. Satan uses our guilt as a weapon to make us feel hopeless and helpless, defeated and discouraged so that we won't draw near to God, so that we won't go to Him in prayer, so that we won't serve Him, so that we won't share the gospel. But the truth for us as Christians is that, as we sung earlier, God's already forgiven my sin. He's paid that price. Past, present, and future, my sins were all in the future from the cross. And they are all forgiven. I've already been declared righteous before God's throne because of what Jesus did for me. Paul writes about this in Romans 8.1. He says, Therefore, there is now... What's he say? No condemnation. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus 
Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Amen? Amen. And that's what the vision of Zechariah demonstrates. God looks at Joshua, whom Satan is accusing as sinful and beyond hope and unworthy and unusable. And in verse 4, God instead says, Take off his filthy clothes. See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you in festive robes. And he puts these robes of righteousness on Joshua. And then he puts the turban of the high priest on his head. Now in Exodus 28:36, it tells us that on that turban was a gold plate. And guess what's inscribed on that gold plate? Holy to the Lord. Wow. Satan accuses us of our sin. God removes our sin. Satan tells us that we are filthy and we are unworthy and God puts on us robes of righteousness and He declares us and makes us holy to the Lord. He sets us apart for Himself. That is our defense. Not any self-righteousness that I have, because I have none, but His righteousness. Not some holier-than-thou fakery that puts others down to make myself look good. No, His holiness imputed upon me who doesn't deserve it. That's our defense. When you feel guilty and ashamed, when you start hearing that inner critic in your head telling you you're not good enough, you're not worthy, who are you, you don't know enough, when Satan puts that uh, rearview mirror up in front of you to remind you of your past. What's your go-to defense? What's your go-to defense in those moments? Is it self-righteousness? Is it, well, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Well, if I just work harder. Well, you know, look at all these good things that I've been doing now. Is it self-righteousness? Is it a holier-than-thou superiority? Well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. At least I've not done that. Do you harden your heart? Do you you erect a wall around your heart that ends up not only cutting off Satan's accusations, but the reconciling conviction of the Holy Spirit as well? You see, any of these kinds of efforts to hide and to pretend that our weaknesses aren't real, to, to slap on a happy face that says, I'm fine, everything's fine, those are weak and unnecessary because God sees you. God knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And guess what? He loves you still. He loves you anyway. If you're saved, He will never leave you. He's never ashamed of you. If you're lost, He is reaching out to you to rescue you just as you are. You are forgiven in Christ when you put your faith and trust in Him. He washes you clean. He makes you new. He declares you righteous. You're made holy in His sight. So there's no need to hide. Rather, we're called to stand firm with our heads held high against Satan's accusations. And we do that by putting on the breastplate of righteousness. So what is righteousness? Well, Ben talked about that. It literally means to be in right standing before God. It means to be upright. Righteousness means you have fulfilled God's moral requirements. It means that you are doing the right thing and you're avoiding the wrong thing. You're guiltless. That's what it means to be righteous. Now, we have to understand there are two aspects of righteousness. Two aspects. The first is positional. Positional 
righteousness. Paul writes about that in Romans 3. Paul says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. No one. You cannot be declared righteous in God's sight by doing the law, by keeping the law, by doing the right thing. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The law convicts us of our sin. The law points out that we are lawbreakers. It can't make you righteous. So he goes on. He says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And there's no distinction. Jew, Greek, male, female, slave, free, rich, poor. It doesn't matter. For all have sinned, all of us. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And we are all justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus when we believe in Him. So in terms of your standing before God, in terms of your eternal salvation, righteousness is a gift that you receive. It's not about your behavior. It's about your belief. It's about trusting in Him. And when you place your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when you accept that free gift of grace, with it comes the righteousness of Christ. He imputes His righteousness to you. And you are placed in right standing before God. That's your position now. So it's not something you can earn by doing the works of the law. It's not something that you even have to take up and put on like an armor. This positional righteousness is simply who you are as a soldier in His army. If you're on God's side in this fight, if you're a follower of Jesus, you stand in that righteousness. You can't take it off. You can't put it on. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become what? The righteousness of God. Jesus took our sins onto Himself and took His righteousness and put it upon us. Our positional righteousness is not a piece of armor we can put on. Rather, we are clothed in righteousness the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that never changes. We enter the battle already in righteousness. And listen, that should bring peace to your heart because guess what? As you are fighting this battle, you're going to stumble. You're going to fall. You're going to sin. It's going to happen. And Satan is incapable even in that moment of penetrating the righteousness of Christ. Because no matter what I do, I'm an adopted child of the King. I stand before God counted righteousness, righteous because I belong to Jesus. So yeah, I may lose a skirmish from time to time, but even when I do, Jesus' righteousness wins the final battle. That's our positional righteousness. That's not in question when you're a Christian. What I think the breastplate of righteousness, particularly as far as something we take up and put on and have to keep on, is practical righteousness. Practical righteousness. This is what Ben was referring to in the children's sermon. This is our consistent daily walk with Jesus. So think about the two this way. We stand in the once for all time imputed righteousness of Christ and we walk daily in the moment by moment imparted righteousness of the Holy Spirit. Or think about it this way. 
Positional righteousness is about right standing before God. Practical righteousness is about right walking with God. Right living for God. That's the difference. So as Christian soldiers, our everyday lives are either going to be strengthened so that when we face Satan, we're victorious in battle, or we live our lives in such a way that weakens us and makes us more susceptible to his attacks. So that means that that you can avoid some battles by guarding your heart through holy living. When we resist temptation, when we seek after the things of God, it preserves our witness. It emboldens us to share the gospel. It helps us experience more of the peace and joy of our salvation. When our hearts are right with God, we stand stronger in the fight. But when they're not, when there's unconfessed or lingering sin or bitterness and unforgiveness towards someone in our life, we lose our joy. We lose our zeal for serving Him. Our passion is diminished and we don't desire prayer and worship and the Word as we should. But when we live godly lives in the Spirit's power, we strip Satan of the weapon of accusation. We strip him of the ability to make us feel guilty and discouraged and defeated. So my question for you is, are you living your life in such a way that it makes you more vulnerable to Satan's attacks? Or in such a way that it strengthens you against them? When we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we keep Satan from getting a foothold in our life. How do we do that? How do we put on this breastplate of daily, practical, righteous living? Well, simply, we have to remember our identity in Christ. Remember that no matter what, you are forgiven. You are declared righteous. You belong to Jesus. And no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. You're His. And nothing can change that. And when we remember our identity in Christ, when we remember that positional righteousness, then it motivates us and empowers us with that practical daily desire to live it out. To be the people that we know God has said that we are. And that's when we desire to bear the fruit of the Spirit and to put on the the character qualities of Jesus. I want to conclude with this one last passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul talks about this in verse 17. He says, Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do, meaning the lost. You should not walk as the lost do in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about Him and were taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, listen to what He says. Think about that vision of of Joshua to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. So we we take off those filthy rags and we put on the festive robes created according to God's likeness in righteousness and in purity of the truth. Right there's the first two parts of the armor. Truth and righteousness. Therefore, putting away, lying, and instead speak the truth each one to his neighbor because we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. Let no thief 
Long, let, let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. See, we take off the former's ways of life and we put on the breastplate of righteousness. We live out the righteousness that Jesus has given to us. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we act. It changes the way we treat people. It changes all of that. And that only further guards our hearts from the defeating, discouraging accusations of the devil. This morning I want to ask you, do you stand in the righteousness of Christ? The righteousness which comes apart from any works of the law. The righteousness that only comes by faith in God's grace. Do you stand in the righteousness of Christ? Have you taken off those filthy garments and allowed Jesus to clothe you in robes of righteousness? If you have any question this morning about where you stand before God, when God looks at you, does He see your sin or does He see Jesus' righteousness because you've confessed your sin and you've trusted in Him for salvation? If you've not done that, I invite you in just a moment to do that today to begin anew your life as a new creation in Christ Jesus, created to do good works. The old is gone, the new has come. I invite you to experience that this morning. If you are here and you're a Christian this morning, you've done that, maybe, maybe you've not been taking up that practical breastplate of righteousness and you've not been putting it on as you should. Maybe you've allowed some of those old, out of style, they don't fit you very well anymore, clothes of lying and bitterness and lust and selfishness and greed. Maybe you've been kind of putting some of those clothes... Listen, that's like, that's like dressing like somebody from the 60s or 70s here. That's like bell-bottoms. We don't need that. We don't need the, the big, wide, fat ties, right? You don't need that stuff anymore. There's a new fashion, and it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to take some of that off and lay it down at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, help me to walk in righteousness. Maybe God is calling you to unite with this church family. Whatever He is speaking to your heart. To walk in righteousness means to be obedient. And I pray you'll be obedient to the Spirit's leading today. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, we are thankful that You, through the grace of Jesus Christ, through His sacrificial death on the cross and His victorious resurrection from the grave, You declare us holy and righteous when we put our trust in Jesus Christ when Your Spirit convicts us and draws us to You and we accept that unspeakable gift of Your grace, You make us holy. And God, we praise You for that because there is truly nothing we could ever do to atone for the sins that we've committed. And if anybody here needs to experience that today, I pray they would come. Father, for those of us that do stand before You as righteous, Lord, help us to stand before the people around us as righteous. Help us to live our lives in such a way that they see that righteousness and they know the power and the truth and the grace of God and the way we love and the way we give and the way we serve and the way we put other people before ourselves. God, help us to daily put on that breastplate of righteousness in how we live our lives. God, whatever you're speaking to our hearts, may we be obedient not just in this moment but throughout this week. In Jesus' name we pray.